0: Let's say that the topic of today's talk is going to be restraint. To restrain um, ourselves. Uh, because there is a lot of stuff that we have, let us say, picked up automatically and are running by automatic pilot. And that because of that, um, the automatic pilot tends to do its thing without, um, let us say, watching for consequences.
1: Last year again. Pardon? Sorry, I, I lost almost everything you just said. Last thing I heard is the automatic pilot tends to do what it what it wants, or something along those lines.
0: Yes, I apologize
1: for the the connection. automatic
0: pilot system tends to do whatever it wants to do. A clear example of that is the way that people drive cars. When you first learned to drive a car, it was a lot of work, especially if you had a clutch and, and gearbox that it's easier to learn to drive a car that's an automatic simply because you don't have quite so much to do all the time. But learning to drive a car is hard work. And that when people get a basic skill going, then they put that car driving onto automatic pilot. And they tend to not watch the road nearly as much, nor do they put nearly as much effort into driving. That, that there's a part of the brain that just kind of takes over and does automatic pilot. If we allow that automatic pilot to go on by itself, the likelihood is something bad's going to happen. And, the, and an example of that would be uh, hitting potholes unnecessarily. And that most drivers will hit potholes because they're not watching the road carefully, that a really, really good driver is one who is not only going to avoid accidents, he's going to avoid the potholes. He can see the potholes in the road and he's either going to drive um, across the pothole so that the wheels don't catch it or he's going to swerve all the way out or uh, take the precautions necessary so that he doesn't hit the pothole. But most drivers will just because they're on automatic pilot they don't pay attention to things like potholes and that's why they hit them so much and this is one of the reasons why cars need new tires and um, repairs from time to time is because people are not careful watching the potholes so in the sense of restraint then One of the things that we can say is to drive correctly, we have to restrain the eyes. We have to restrain the eyes to keep them focused. It's almost like that uh, to drive correctly. We need to have what uh, is referred to as blinders or blinkers. The the hands that I'm having uh, like this Um, many times uh, the bridle for mules and horses they'll put these blinders on so that the horse will not get distracted side to side, and he can keep his eye on the road. Humans, we need to actually have blinders installed in automobiles (laughs) so that people will watch the road. And when they don't watch the road, then the mind, uh, then the eyes will wander all over the place. Okay. So now this is the analogy that we have been living our lives on automatic pilot and we're not watching where we're going and for that reason we keep hitting potholes one after another after another after another one pothole after another in fact you could say that um, living one's life easily is to not go on the roads that have a lot of potholes on them and so you giving yourself um actions or or interest or work to do means that now you're going to be out driving your mental mind hitting a bunch of potholes and we generally don't like that so we can either do it in one or two ways is if we're going to do a task Make sure that we're doing it fully aware, full attention on. We're watching the road, and and uh, we're avoiding the potholes. But a better thing to do is you just don't even get in the car. If you don't get in the car, you're unlikely to be running into any
1: potholes. What, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, that sounds like staying in bed.
0: Uh, there will come a time in your life When that may be the right thing to do Like when you're sick Or after you're 95 years old People who make it to 95 Generally spend the last 10 years or so Close to the bed So What we need to do is to learn to restrain
2: the eyes.
0: Oh, you're back. Okay.
1: yeah,
0: all right, so in this regard, this is also like restraining the body and in fact staying in bed would be a restraint. However, it may not be as comfortable as you would think. But the
3: the point would be that, well, why not stay in bed? Why not? Not
1: satisfying. Trust me, I've tried to live life that way. It hurts my heart. It what? It hurts my heart. What
3: hurts your heart?
1: Not uh, not doing anything worthwhile with my time. Not uh, not uh,
0: pursuing your interest.
1: Pursuing my interest or or um, dealing with what life has for me to deal with. Um, but life or, doesn't have you know,
0: anything for you to deal with if you just stayed in bed. That in and fact, me, life I gives you I stuff understand. to deal with when you go out and step. And then, in fact, dealing with, with life is like having to
1: deal with potholes. Okay. Well, you either well, avoid I, it I, or I assume, you're in them. <laughs> I assume you're not actually advocating for me to spend my life in bed.
3: Um, it depends upon what you define as the word bed. For instance, little kids have a whole lot of fun
2: jumping on the bed
3: Sorry, some people
0: I, get a very very uh comfortable uh desk like arrangement with a big easy chair, and that's kind of like a bed
1: it is yeah,
0: okay. In the time of the Buddha, just a place under a tree was a
3: good enough bed. But we have to deal with it in all four postures. So
0: um, the restraint then that we're talking about is actually to restrain ourselves from having to go out
3: To be out on the road
0: of life, running into potholes, like I said, you can either be very, very focused and clear that you're not going to run into emotional potholes, or you can avoid the journey altogether.
3: But most people, away. most people are out there on the road just hitting one pothole after another.
1: You're your strain, you're talking about sense restraint here. i'm I'm gathering.
3: I'm sorry, what?
1: You're talking about sense restraint here, I'm gathering, not not getting too carried away with what I encounter in the environment in my head.
0: Yes, that's actually one of the things that needs to be trained for is what do you want? In the sense of using wisdom. Or another way of looking at it, and this is a a very modern phrase, it's certainly not in the sutras, but uh, the concept was right there in the time of the Buddha, and that was to do a a cost-benefit analysis for almost everything you do. What is the cost, what is it going to take, and what is the benefit that I'm going to get out of it? And when you begin to look at it from that perspective, you wind up recognizing that often the cost is greater than the benefit.
1: Very often, yeah. Pardon? Very often, yeah. All
0: right. So once we've made that determination that the cost is higher than the benefit, now we can restrain ourselves from making that cost because we can do without the benefit.
1: I've been there. Sometimes when I'm feeling badly that I'm just reaching for the first thing that's going to make me feel okay, even if it's to my long-term detriment.
0: Exactly. So we look at, in fact, we look for short-term gains without recognizing the long-term cost. An example of that would be that uh, uh, being in the showroom of the brand new automobile, and it's got a lovely team of salespeople that are trying their best to sell you that car. And when we see own the delight of having the car, the benefit of having the car, many people cannot see the cost, the cost of the monthly payments, the cost of how am I going to feel when this car turns out to not be the check magnet that I thought it was going to be. the cost of the first scratch, and the cost of getting rid of the car. And once we begin to look at it from the cost-benefit analysis, maybe the old car is worthwhile keeping because the new one is just too much, it costs too much emotionally, etc. And so we begin to, to, to look at things from that perspective of what is the cost of this going to be.
1: Sometimes sometimes I guess I find I find that rational analysis easier when I'm feeling less emotional and when I'm more emotionally charged, I'm I'm less inclined to think rationally like ah, that.
0: So now we're going in the right direct direction because you see the emotion that you're talking about is already paying the cost. Our emotions is the cost. That's what drives us to do things. That's why it's called emotion. It's motion. All right? And that we're pushed or shoved to do things. This is, uh, uh, the Pali word for that is pasa and it's translated as contact. But contact in this sense is not kind of a Uh, Like when two people are passing each other uh, that they uh, brush. Or that there's a slight movement or they avoid and and quite don't get it. This is not what we mean by making contact in this case it's much more like. um, A shove. So you're standing on the ledge and something comes up behind you and it contacts you and it contacts you enough to shove you over the edge. Another way that we would use contact is back in the uh, World War II, 1930s days, uh, aircraft. Uh, they would not uh, put batteries and starters and that kind of stuff on the plane because it was just weighed too much. And so how they would start it is someone would take the propeller and throw it down like this really hard, while at the same time the, um, uh, the pilot would throw the switch for the ignition, right? And they call that contact and then they, will And the contact then is what gets the engine started. So now we're talking about your engine has gotten started. You're in motion, the emotion. That's what is, is the big cost. When in fact, you could have stayed in bed mentally. You could have been at rest mentally. You could have been relaxed mentally instead of out there being driven around by the things that you've allowed to contact you. All right. And so in that, re- that sense, you can say that the contact then gives us a, a feeling. And the feeling that arises is either a feeling of I like it and I want it and I got to go get it or the feeling of, I don't like it and I've got to get rid of it. Or the feeling of, I don't know what that is, but I either got to take care of it or I got to run from it or I got to do something because I don't know what it is, okay? So these are the three kinds of feelings that we have. The feeling of liking, the feeling of not liking, and a feeling of, I'm not sure whether I like it or not. That it's not a neutral feeling. And in fact, a real neutral feeling would be no feeling at all because there's not much contact. But when something really contacts you, it can contact you in a really confusing kind of way. All right. So these are now the drives that we have that get us to do things in the sense of I like it. And because I like it, I want it. And the next insanity that humans put into that is, I like it and I want it, therefore it must be good. I don't like it and I don't want it, therefore things must be bad. Or the third one, I don't know what it is, it might be dangerous. So these are the things that, that are driving us based upon the feelings of liking or not liking. So then the restraint that we would have is to restrain ourselves, if we're really good at it, between that point of liking it and wanting it. There is a very, very famous story about Achan Cha and Achan Semedo way back when. And uh, the story is about that uh, they're at a ceremony where there's a lot of young Thai ladies all dressed up to the nines. And while they're there, Achan Cha says to uh, Achan Semedo, actually then he was just Semedo. "Um, What do you think? Well, he's pointing at the girls, you see. And uh, Semedo said, I like it. But I don't want it. Now, that was a clear indication that by that point, Achan Sameto had learned about Paticca Samupada. He was right on the spot there. That's exactly the way that we want to deal with things, is give the credit for the fact that we like it. We see things as beautiful. We see things as desirable. But we don't desire them.
3: That's the first restraint.
0: That's the best kind. Eventually that will get down to the point of it's okay, one way or the other, I don't have to like it. I see that the lady has gotten all dolled up. She spent $10 or more on makeup. Maybe $50 on hair and $100 on a dress. And so she's uh, dressed to, they say, the nines. But I don't see the makeup, I don't see the dress I don't see the hairdo I just see a person but the enticement in fact the whole idea about being attractive is that it attracts us which means that we go into a state of desire for it we can't just say I like it, it's beautiful we want to hold it an example of that, you go to the Louvre and you see the uh, the Mona Lisa and you like it. So on the way out of the Louvre, you spend $50 or more to get a reproduction of the Mona Lisa because you like it. You want it. And then on the way back to the United States, that um, uh, rolled up uh, um, <clears throat> piece of uh, reproduced art gets damaged, and we can't go back to Paris to get another one. So now it's damaged. Now we feel bad; we've lost it, all because of that instantaneous feeling that we had immediately when we saw the uh, the Mona Lisa, the uh, the actual image in the Louvre. We liked it, and therefore we wanted it. That some will go so far as to I like it and I want it. Therefore, I've got to either break into the Louvre and steal it. Or I've got to make millions of dollars so that I can buy it. <coughs> hmm All because I just liked it. And that feeling of liking ignorantly goes to wanting. And so... Uh, We can restrain ourselves in two places there. One is I like it. And I want it. But I don't have to go all the way to the point of I've got to have it. I can like it and want it to just leave it that way. But that's a bit uncomfortable. The better place to do it is, I like it, but I don't want it, which is the way that uh, Samedo was saying it. I
3: like it, but I don't want it. So for you, you can say it in the sense of, well, I like those drugs, but now I don't want them. Because I can
0: recognize the cost-benefit analysis says that they're dangerous. Okay. That
1: one thankfully is a lot clearer, yeah.
3: And so now we have two
0: opportunities again of restraint. Uh, one, I can go and get what I'm looking for, but I have to do it in the sense of uh, not clinging or grasping or trying to get it mindlessly that I can go about mindfully, uh, tastefully, tactfully getting what I want. But that's a lot of work to drive to avoid the potholes. Better not to be out driving at all. Better just to say, I like it,
3: but I don't want it.
0: So in the Pali, these are parts of the Paticca Samuppada. In fact, we started about it from the position of contact, which is the word pasa. When something contacts us, then we have feelings about it. I like it. I don't like it. If it doesn't contact us, then there's not much feeling at all. And that's the normal state. But when something does contact you and it can be an idea or something that you see or something that you hear. Uh, coming in from the senses, or it can be a thought that you have. And then you like it. And that liking then ignorantly becomes wanting it. Just because I like it doesn't mean that I have to have it. And so this is wisdom then at the point of contact. So when these feelings rise, we can deal with those feelings directly, rather than having to deal with the results of the feelings. If we don't have to deal with the res- and if things go too far, it goes from pasa to vedana, which is the feelings, from vedana to tanha. That's I want it, I want it, I got to have it. And then if we do get it, or we think we've got it, or if our, our uh, grasping is strong enough, then this is what we mean by clinging, actually take it. So uh, the feelings of, first off, I see it, it contacts me. I like it, therefore I want it. And now I've got to grab hold of it. If I grab hold of it, this is clinging. Now there are four modes of clinging and the four modes of clinging we'll talk about later. But basically, the four modes of clinging get us wound up in a woeful state. An example of that would be um, wanting to win an argument, and so we wind up getting angry. And anger is a woeful state. It's like hell itself. It's like a prison. We want desperately to get out of our anger. That's why we... uh, uh, but we think that I can get out of my anger by getting what I wanted. And so we will continue in the anger trying to get what we want, thinking that the anger will be finished when I get what I want. Well, guess what? I can stop the anger. I can turn around and walk away, and I can be un, uh, and finished with my anger without getting what I want. And in fact, that's what happens generally, that people will spend and, and exempt exert so much um, cost in the bad feelings of wanting and desiring something, and then they don't get it. And so we walk away from it saying it's not worth the effort. This is, in fact, the entire story of the Aesop's fable of the fox jumping for the grapes. And when he could not get the grapes, he walked away saying what?
1: They're sour anyway. The
0: grapes are sour. Sour grapes. I tried, I worked, I tried to get it, I couldn't get it, and therefore it wasn't worth the effort anyway because my failure. All right. So the but the point is, is that why couldn't the fox have just looked at those grapes and says they're probably sour and just trotted on off with all of that jumping? jumping and grasping and clinging and trying to get those grapes and wanting those grapes until he finally exhausted himself recognizing he can't get those grapes. And so then he makes so them I, I
3: Sorry, I,
2: I
1: find I find this, this kind of thing easy uh, same point, easy to do when I'm calm, and then when I have this anxiety in in you know this, it sits it sits right here for me. Um,
0: okay.
1: Is this, this uh, it? Just says what's going on right now isn't right. We have to we have to escape it. Then I have a lot harder time saying saying no, and I sit with that anxiety a fair bit.
0: Okay. Let's talk about this because this is a very, very common thing. Most of the students have it. I'm glad that you brought it up, that not only did you bring it up, but you showed exactly where you can experience that stuff. It's right here in the chest area down into the uh, um, uh, diaphragm area, uh, and generally not above the chest line. It's not up here, but it's in this area. All right. And you can call it anxiety. But here's the thing: most of the people who deal with anxiety deal with it by trying to get rid of it by getting the object of their desire. Okay, I feel anxious and uptight, and instead of doing something about the uh, of the uptightness, they want to go out and perform some activity. Thinking that when that activity is finished, then the anxiety will go away. Guess what? It don't. But while we're act in like the, a in, boomerang. pardon,
1: act like a boomerang.
0: Mm-hmm. Generally, what happens is, is that while we're out trying to get the object of our desire, now we're thinking about the object of the desire, and they are not paying attention to the um, anxiety. And yet the anxiety is what's driving us all that time to go get what we want. What we're going to do with Anapanasati is start to work directly with that anxiety. Rather than trying to do it in a secondary way. An example of that secondariness is is that um, the guy wants a girlfriend. And he sees that uh, this old this guy over here has a lot of girlfriends, and he's also got a fancy car. Therefore, if I go get a fancy car, I can have a lot of girlfriends.
1: Oh, oh sorry. You split up there. Huh? Sorry, you you're cracked up there.
0: Oh, okay. What I said was is that this guy sees another guy that's got girlfriends and a fancy car and so he says i have to have a fancy car too in order to get the girlfriends but what neither one of them are looking at is how do they feel about the girls themselves if they can deal directly with how they feel about the girls then they can deal with that directly rather than having to go by the car
2: I
3: think
1: I have yes. enough of the metaphor to, to piece it together.
0: Yeah, so the metaphors are, are there uh, useful for us to use these things as metaphors so that people can then take that metaphor and apply it. If I talk directly, uh, it's, it may be too much.
1: Oh, no, I just mean you broke, you broke up for a moment. I, I heard the end of it, but it related to an earlier metaphor, so I think I understand.
0: Okay, all right. So, basically what we need to do is to go after the feelings directly. As opposed to listening to those feelings or heeding those feelings and going and getting the object that we thought was going to satisfy those feelings. Let's deal just with the feelings directly.
1: What does it mean to heed them? That's an interesting one. What, what, what message do they have or what, in what way am I heeding them?
2: Um,
0: all right, let's use this, hunger. Generally, people think, oh, I am hungry. Therefore, let me go get something to eat. And that might be just going to the kitchen or going to the refrigerator. Some people will get in their car and drive to a restaurant to get something to eat. But there's also the possibility that, um, let us say the monk is in the afternoon and he's way at the back of the watt. So that it's like a 30-minute walk to the front of the Wat, And when he thinks about, well, I'm hungry now, but going and getting something to eat at the wrong time of the day, and look at how much effort it's going to take. We're talking about an hour's walking just because I have the feeling of hunger. Let me deal with the feeling of
3: hunger directly.
0: Right? How can I deal with the hunger directly? In other words, instead of using the hunger as a, uh, as a trigger to go get something to eat, we can just merely use that trigger for something else. An example would be just take a drink of water. Or just ignore the, the feeling of hunger and it will go away. So if we can do that with hunger, then we can do that also. And by the way, people do that on a diet. And they say, oh, I'm hungry, but I'm not going to eat right now. That I, in fact, I enjoy this hunger because the hunger itself is showing that the body may be going into ketosis. And so we
3: actually want to be hungry.
1: yeah I'd forgotten about that. That was something that the last time that I was big into meditating that I realized is that my, my subjective response to something is, is pretty I totally forgot about that.
0: Okay. So well, then now, now that we can change that feeling of hunger into the feeling of anxiety, We recognize that we treat hunger and anxiety exactly the same way. Oh, I feel anxious. Therefore, I've got to go do something. And so we go around doing things um, ignorantly. And um, trying to pursue something that will resolve the anxiety on the inside rather than dealing with the anxiety directly. So how can we deal with the anxiety directly? Well, one of the things that we can do is we can recognize that perhaps a series of thoughts that I was having, oh, I've, I've got to go get a haircut, and I've got to go get a visa, and I've got to go to the bank, and I've got to go this, and I've got to go, and by this, <clears throat> all of these thoughts of I've got to go, I've got to go, Get us into that state of being worked up. So now that we've gotten ourselves worked up, we can say, wait a minute. Let me not have the thoughts that work me up. Mm -mm. I can start having more wholesome thoughts. And one of the wholesome thoughts is, you know, everything is good right now. I don't really have to go to the bank. I don't have to feel like that I'm worked up. I don't have to think about the bank. I can just sit here and relax. So when you talk about being in bed all the time, basically, yeah, metaphorically, just stay in bed. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go anywhere. But we are driven to go places and get things because we feel anxious, uptight, that in fact, the bottom level of the anxiety is fear. And you can look around the room that you're in. It's a pretty junky basement that you're in. But one thing's for sure, there's no alligators in the basement. There's no pythons. There's no cops breaking in. You don't have somebody in a backhoe digging your house up. That you're relatively safe. This is one way of, of the wisdom is to wake up and recognize you're okay. And so you can tell that fear inside that anxiety inside down boy. Nothing to be worried about, no place to go, everything is cool, just relax, and the ultimate relaxation is taking a nap, and so this is kind of a restraint, rather than going to get the object of our desire that at the basis of it is anxiety and fear. We can merely just cool down, chill out, recognize that there's really no reason to go get anything, that I'm good right now. There's nothing to be afraid of, there's no dangers. Let me take a deep breath and just relax. And we need to do this all day long and to remember to do it all day long. So the practice then of meditation is to set aside a particular time of day where we're actually going to practice this intentionally. Intentionally practice no place to go and nothing to do. I can sit here and just enjoy. I can just breathe. And any any anxieties that we have, I can deal with that and breathe into it and be finished with that anxiety. And so now we're having wholesome thoughts. Unwholesome thoughts would be, how can I get rid of this anxiety? Oh, if I go finish that argument. Oh, if I go buy that car. Oh, if I go get that girl. All of these kind of things is to get rid of um, an anxiety that we have actually talked ourselves into anyway, as well as the fact that it's so easy to do because we've done it so many times before. And so the way to deal with anxiety is to breathe, breathe into it, see if you can move it, look at the anxiety directly, check it out, see if you can move it around, see if you can make it pulsate and grow, see if you can break it up, but we're going to be paying attention directly to how the body feels, the sensations actually of the body with the idea that we can relax that. It's you interesting well go ahead.
1: Oh, it's just that I, with, uh, you know, there's physical pain, say, from sitting too long. I've, I've, I've heeded the advice to... Uh, Don't
0: sit too long. Don't sit too long.
1: How long is too long? I mean, I might start getting a knot sometime after half an hour. Okay. So back off to 20 minutes.
0: It's much better to do three, four, five times a day for 20 minutes than it is to do one sitting for an hour.
2: Point. Point. Uh, I totally
1: different experience of having... Sorry. Idee- you. You came in all all at once there. What was that?
0: Yes, we you need to do something about your Wi-Fi connection next time. The place that you're in is a poor. You're too far away from the router.
2: Yeah, I'm not. I'm uh, problem. Uh, uh,
1: I'm actually having a bit of a hard time this conversation, too. You're frozen again right now. I have no idea what you're hearing or not hearing.
0: I know. Yeah, you've been broken up for quite a while. Um, You need to make uh, the call with your cell phone closer to the router. You're too far away from the router. It's possibly upstairs.
1: No, the routers, routers just over there. Unfortunately, it it must just be a weak router.
3: Yeah, make sure that you got
0: a uh, the Wi-Fi signal is strong.
1: Well, I uh, I'll, I'll talk to them and see if there's a spot that's better in the house. What I, what I was saying was that with when I pay attention to the pain, just as I fully pay attention to it and I don't run from it, then I've had the experience of sitting there with physical sensation of pain, but no mental sensation. And I never really considered doing that with um, my anxiety, because I think of it as a thing rather than just a physical feeling. So just paying attention to the physical feeling, I could see... So, I mean, it drives me so much. I'm just trying to escape this feeling in my body you know, on some levels, you know?
0: hmm Well, there's no other place for you to experience your feelings other than in the body. That's where they all are anyway. And so working directly with the feelings. Like I said, um, breathe deeply into them. See if you can move that feeling of anxiety around. See if you can get it to pulsate in the sense of it's very strong when you've got a full deep in breath and then it relaxes a bit when you're doing an out breath. See if you can move it around. Can you move it from up here? Can you move it down there? Can you move it from side to side? Begin to play with it like a toy. And that's a whole different attitude about it. That it's a toy to play with rather than something that motivates you and drives you.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I. If I can form a different relationship with this feeling of anxiety, I mean it. and it, it really does uh, a number on me, it, it really does.
0: Very hard to hear anything you have to say. I didn't hear anything
1: you said in the past 30 seconds. I'm sorry. It uh, crapped out again. Do we, uh, do we want to try again another night? This is, connection is really quite bad tonight.
0: Yes. Make sure on your cell phone that you're looking at the Wi Fi signal. The Wi Fi signal on the cell phone needs to be very strong.
1: I'll, I'll I'll play around in the house and I'll see what I can find.
0: Okay. We'll we'll see you in the next couple of days then. All right. Nice Nice time,
1: right. Camarado. I'll try out these things. Okay. Bye for we'll now.
3: See you. You too.